Welcome to Pastor's Class as we spend another week looking at the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles open there, turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we'll be looking at this third key passage there in Matthew 5. And uh, if you have not already picked it up, we have our recommended resource. Uh, it's a Christ-centered exposition commentary that will serve as our guide over these weeks. And you can also find, we do have handouts to go along with each week. You can find those available there uh, on our website as you're interacting uh, and learning more about the Sermon on the Mount. Now today we're looking at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is speaking about the Bible. And if you look in, in the passage, if you just kind of have Matthew 5 there open in front of you, you, you can see we've already talked about the Beatitudes. We've talked about being the salt and the light uh, to the world. So this, this kind of way in which we live to the world. And then in the middle, right here in chapter 5, if you're looking at a structural piece, you see this uh, teaching on the uh, Bible, the Word of God, the law, and how Jesus interacts with it. And then the rest of the chapters, we go all the way down through, there's these six great antitheses, which are these kind of opposite statements speaking about anger and divorce and uh, uh, lust and and oaths and all these different things. And so Jesus will walk through all these different teachings and much of those will be how uh, the salt and the light and the beatitudes are lived out. So you, you see the chapter go along, but sandwiched between the two is this statement on how Jesus interacts with the law. How does he connect with the Bible? And so I'd like to just take a moment. We only have four verses here. And so four verses and we'll look at four points for our study uh, here, in the here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as I, I'd like to read them to you and then I'll just provide some commentary as we go along. So starting in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us for a moment. Heavenly Father, give us understanding of your word. Help us to see just how Christ interacts with it. And Lord, may we be people that submit to your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, oftentimes there's a, a question you may have been asked in life. Maybe it's as you're talking to someone who's not a Christian, or maybe this question just came to you one day in your journey of following Christ. And, and, and sometimes you get asked, why do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Why is it that when you open up the Scriptures, do you actually believe this book, you would call it God's Word? Why is it that you, uh, when you open this book, that you actually are believing that you hear from God Himself? And these are dramatic statements. I know a lot of times, but if you've been in church and been a Christian very long, you, you kind of become used to the idea of this being God speaking to his people. But those statements are dramatic to think that this book is God's word to us. Those are 
significant things to say. And so the question comes about, you ask yourself, why is it that I believe that this book is the Word of God? It's, it's even more challenging as you meet someone who doesn't believe that and has not accepted these as the Word of God, and they start to ask you questions, and, and you start to have to defend why is it that you believe this book? Now, one of the reasons, there's multiple reasons, this isn't a study on that question, but it is one of the answers to that question. And one of the reasons we believe the Bible is the Word of God is because within the book, within the Bible, it attests to itself being the Word of God. It's saying that it is the Word of God. So whenever the Bible says, the Lord said, it's immediately claiming to speak for God. It's saying God's word. And so here Jesus will then in turn give how he sees the scriptures and really make some unique statements here, very dramatic statements. And as we'll see these piece together here, we'll really build kind of a picture of why we believe that the Bible is the word of God because we know that Jesus believed that the Bible was the Word of God. He, he believed in this book. And so let's look at a, just a few things he might have uh, said about the Bible. The first one is the Bible points to Jesus. That, that the entire book, and the Old Testament included, uh, points to Jesus. Now what's the point of the Old Testament? What's the point of having a book, if you, if you think about it, the key figure of our book and our Bible is found in the Gospels, and that's over halfway through this book. I mean, if you just literally hold the Bible up and look and you say, okay, here's where Jesus' teaching shows up, all of this section comes before we start actually talking about the person of Jesus, his birth, his, his existence here on this earth. And so what, what do you do with the Old Testament? And so as Jesus comes on the scene, there's this thought, what does Jesus and the Old Testament have to do with each other? And Jesus answers it here in verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Notice how he says there in the middle, he uses the phrase, the law and the prophets. Here he's talking about the Old Testament. The, the law, as you think about the Torah and the early parts of the scriptures, and then you think about the Old Testament is full of prophets, people speaking for God. And so when he speaks about the law and the prophets, he's speaking here about the Old Testament and how it relates to him. You would have to wonder if you were a Jew or someone that was a follower of the Old Testament, you, you wonder, okay, here's Jesus standing in front of me. How is it that these two connect? And he has, uses two key words that help us understand. As he says, I, I have not come to abolish, he actually says that twice in verse 17, but he says he has come to fulfill the law. Let's look at abolish first. To abolish something is to remove it, to tear it down, to see it gone. And Jesus' point here is his goal is not for us to take the Old Testament and to throw it out. And the only thing that we have today is to talk about Jesus. I mean, if, if that were true, we would just have, you know, the last third of our Bible would be the New Testament. But instead we have the Old Testament 
as well that we study and believe. Why is that? Because Jesus says that he's not come to abolish it. He's not come to tear it down. Think about if you were to abolish something, a house, uh, if you've ever torn anything down, you, you empty the contents first. Then you go in and you start to tear the walls down. Then you tear all the walls, the roof down, everything in the inside. Then you have to go down and pull the foundation up. And then once you're done with that, that's finally cleared. And that, that structure is completely abolished. It's gone. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm doing with all that's happened in the Old Testament. I'm not here to take Abraham and rip him up and say, forget about him. I'm not here to talk about the sacrificial system and say, that was nothing. I'm not here to look back and say, for David, just, that wasn't anything to me. Instead, he uses the word fulfill. He says, when you look back at the Old Testament, I'm here to fulfill what you see in the Bible. And he fulfills the Old Testament in multiple ways. And so that for us is why we look into the Old Testament and we see just how he fulfills it. He does it by keeping the law. You think about Jesus when he came to live here. He said, I didn't come here to say, well, everything in the Old Testament's gone. To love your neighbor, to love God, those are things that are of the Old Testament. He said, I've actually come because you failed to do those things, and I'm here to do them perfectly. So when you look into the Old Testament, the law is not there for something he's going to remove. He's now here to do the law perfectly. He will live a perfect life. And so he says, I'm here to fulfill the law and the prophets. It's also true of the prophecies of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah 7, 9, all these different spots in the Old Testament where you see it talk about Genesis 3, you see this, this coming king, this Christ who is here to save us. You know, there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament that we're looking for, and Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Also, you you think about the sacrificial system, the fact that they had to offer up for their sins on an altar. An animal had to die in their place. And so we had to see this idea of sin costing something and at this altar. And there's this picture of a sacrificial system. And Jesus uh, will point to the fact that he is there to fulfill that system. That's why Hebrews talks about these are only copies of the heavenly things and they're only shadows of the things, things to come. Jesus would be the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. He would be the once and for all sacrifice for us. He was here to fulfill the law and the prophets. Then finally, beyond a lot of these specifics, do you realize that the Bible is one grand story? We talked about this just a few weeks ago at Christmas time as we looked from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the book of Revelation. Over several weeks we saw how the Christmas story began in the fall in the garden and we needed a Savior to come and then all the way to the end the Savior that would one day crush the serpent. Hey, this is the grand story of the Bible and so when Jesus says I'm here to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's saying that the Old Testament has only told the first half of the story. He says, I'm the second half. I'm here to finish the grand story of the gospel. And so when we see Jesus and he says, I'm here to do this, he says, I'm just the connection point. I am the answer to all of the questions. Even take right now, we're, we're at our church studying through Ecclesiastes on Sunday. And every time we come to the, 
the book of Ecclesiastes, we see this kind of lament of how broken the world is. And Ecclesiastes sometimes can feel hopeless, but, but it's only hopeless because it's, fill, it's making a hole that only Christ will fill. Christ is the answer to the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is not meaningless because he's the one who gives, think about it in the Gospels, abundant life. Jesus is here to fulfill the law and the prophets. So that's why when we teach the Bible and we go to the Old Testament, we talk about Jesus. We don't just talk about the Old Testament stories. We point to Jesus in the Old Testament. That's why that for us who look at our faith, our faith isn't just 2,000 years old. It's not a religion that's just 2,000. We believe it goes all the way back. Jesus is part of the grand story of time. And this is why we know that we have one who's obeyed the law for us. I mean, that's the joy of knowing that I see the law, I see how short I come of that law, and I feel that burden, and I can look at Christ and know I have one on my behalf whose righteousness is now on me because, like the verse says, he has fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's the glory of Jesus. And so when he speaks about the Bible in this connecting of the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not unhitched. They're hitched together because Jesus connected himself to the Old Testament. But he also said some other things about the Bible. Here's a, here's a second one. The Bible is perfect in every word. Jesus starts to speak about just how inspired and true the words of the Bible are. That means that the Bible is without error all the way down to every single word. Look at verse 18 with me. Jesus says, For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. First, let's look at the two Hebrew characters that he refers to. First, the iota is a reference to the yod, which is the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. The dot is a reference to the smallest strike of a piece of a character in the Hebrew language. It, it would be like a, a, just a, a comma in our language, something very small. And so, so what he does here, he goes all the way to the point to say, I'm going to go to the smallest letter, and I'm going to go to the smallest strike of the pen that could be made in the language. And he's going to say all the way down to these smallest pieces of the Word of God, they will not change. That's why we believe in what's called the verbal inspiration of Scripture. We take that doctrine from this idea that every single word of the Bible is inspired by God. We don't just believe that the general ideas you could draw from it are uh, inspired by God. We don't believe that just parts of it are inspired by God. We believe that every single word written is inspired by God. And Jesus says it goes down even to the smallest parts of what is written there. Now he says it compares to something. Notice what he compares it to here in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. So none of this can even be changed. It's so set 
that heaven and earth will pass away before you can change one truth found in that book. Take that in for a moment. He's saying that it's easier for the ground that's under your feet, the very air that we breathe, the earth and all the heavens to pass away. It's easier for all that to go away than it is to take apart one truth found in the Word of God. Think about that. That the very commas and the smallest letters in the Bible are more sure, more trustworthy than the heavens and the earth being here today. So you think, what's more sure to you today? The Bible or the very ground that you stand on? And Jesus would say to you, that the ground you're standing on stands more of a chance to go away than the book that you read. So what can you trust today? You can trust the Word of God. And that's why it's so important for us to, to not accept it when people say that I only take certain parts of the Bible. Because when Jesus speaks about the Bible, He speaks about every single word. So if somebody says to you, I only take certain words, I don't believe in the teachings of Paul. I only believe in the teachings of Jesus. That's why even, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the words of Jesus being in red in your Bible. I'm not saying it's bad, but one of the temptations with that is you somehow start to think, well, maybe the words that are in red in my Bible are somehow more valuable and some of these other words aren't as important. So if Jesus says it's important, but the rest of the Bible isn't, and Jesus says, no, 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 every single word of it's important. And so we, we need to know that this is God's entire word to us, and we believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture, all the words. There's a third thing I want to point to, is that the Bible has authority. So we know every single word, we know every single letter is more sure than creation. So if that's true, then how much authority does this book have over us? The book has great authority in our lives. Notice how Jesus describes it here in verse 19. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So notice the scales that are laid out here. That if you follow what is in this book, then it will decide your greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't just say, we'll just generally get most of them right or generally get most of them wrong. Notice the specific language that he uses here. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments. His point is, don't sit here and try to tell me that, well, you'll get the big ones right, but these small ones, not a big deal. The same thing here, he says, but whoever does them and teaches them is called to be great. So you're called to obey all of them, but you need to be careful, just like every word and every small piece is there, you need to be careful that you don't just say, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to obey in His Word. We can't do that. The Bible says we're, we're under the authority of all of the Word of God. 
So don't just pick the truths that are comfortable for you. You need to be willing to submit to the things that even aren't comfortable for you. And this is for us even to be saved. That's why we have to understand that, as James says, if we fail in one point of the law, we become accountable for all of it. That every single point is important. It's not some sort of scaled system where we can't just minimize the requirements that God asks of us. We need to understand that every single part of the law, every single part of the Bible has authority in our lives. And so much authority, it decides who's great and who's not. It will be that determining factor. So Jesus holds the Bible up says, it talks about me all the way through. I'm connected to every part of it. And then he holds it up and he says, look, now when you do this, you want to look at every single word and all of them are, are important. They're all my words. Every single piece of it won't change because it's all part of what I have given as my promises. And then he says, you know what, because the, every single word matters so much, don't minimize any part of it. You've got to hold the entire Bible up and understand you're accountable to it. But then the temptation for people is that we like to adhere to things externally, but internally not. So in other words, we like to fake it. We like to show that we're doing that, but in our hearts, we're not there. We're not really obeying. And so Jesus ratchets up the requirement in this last part of the verse, in verse or the section in verse 20, and where he talks about the Bible calls for heart obedience. You need to obey him internally as well. He's not just looking for external obedience. You can't just obey the law on the outside. He's looking for internal obedience from us. Now, I want you to listen to verse 20 because it would have been shocking and he intends, you know, Jesus will do this with parables. He has already done it somewhat in this whole entire passage. And you see it all the way through. He, he makes shocking statements, particularly about these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees that he wants to point out they might not be as holy as you think. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you look at the scribes, these were people who from a very young age studied the word, the, the law. And they were there to look at every in and out. They understood every little piece of interpretation. This was part of their training was to know the details of the text. So when we talk about the the Old Testament uh, law and prophets, that's what they knew. That's what they studied. That's what they were experts in knowing the details of. And he says, even those people that know every little in and out of the Bible, it, unless you can be more holy than they are, you, you're not going to make it. Th then he says, let me talk about the Pharisees, the ones who actually are inventing uh, laws to try to do whatever they can to be as holy as they can. So in their minds, they were saying, well, if sin is here, I'm going to draw the line over here so I don't even get close to it. I'm going to make the deal that if I know that if I do a little bit of work on the Sabbath, that's going to be bad, so I'm going to make sure I don't do any work on the Sabbath. And so they created all these extra laws just to add on top that became these means of obedience. And so they were doing all these external things. So if you were, think about at the time, if you were living there, you know, 
in Jerusalem and in that area, and you would see a, a religious leader, someone walking, you, you would think probably the average person would look at that person and say, man, that, that person's definitely close to God. You'd be like looking at, at a pastor or Sunday school teacher or someone that you look at your church and you say, there, there it is. That person has it. That, that's the godly person. That's the person God's going to take. And so Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that person, there's no way you're getting into heaven. Because ultimately, ultimately, your righteousness will never exceed any of that. The Bible says you fall short of the glory of God, that all have sinned, that, that we all choose the wrong path. So for us, the Bible says there's, there's no way, no matter how much you want to try to stack, you need Jesus to be the one who fulfilled this law. It's not you. It's going to be Him. And so as we go through these laws and you go through so much of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to drive us to the grace of God, knowing that we're going to strive for these things. But the only way we meet God's standard, the only way we meet His holiness, is by the fact that Jesus is our righteousness. He's the one who has fulfilled the law on our behalf to save us. So Jesus knows that this word is God's word, and he knows that this law can only be fulfilled by him. And so we should look to Jesus to be the one to save us, but also we look to him to help us understand exactly how we approach the Bible. We submit our lives to this text because we know it's God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, his work on the cross, his righteousness. And Lord, we thank you for the Bible, how we can trust it. We can know that when we hear it and we listen to it, that it's something we can trust. And so Lord, today I pray that we would be people that lean and trust on the word, that we would read it, memorize it, study it, Lord, and may it be food to our soul. May it be the very sustenance by which we walk daily because we hear your promises and we know you're the one who will fulfill them. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.